Welcome to the Middle of Culture. I am one of your hosts, Braden Jones. And I'm your other regular host, Peter Jones. And we have a very exciting episode for you today. Um, we are going to do something we haven't done before. I mean, it's not like we've been around. I'm very excited about this, honestly. It's, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's not like we've been around a lot. Um, we don't have a ton of episodes in the backlog, so it's not like we've set a really huge precedent for what we were going to do. But this is very much outside of both of the uh, both the top 10 format and the, hey, let's both read or watch or do this thing and then talk about it. Uh, today, we're going to do something silly um, regarding the discography of the band Rush. But before we start doing that silly thing, I want to talk a little bit about uh, our relationship with the band Rush and why we both are into Rush and why we're both like excited to do this. So really, I think you should explain that since it's your fault. <laughs> you know, liking Rush, I'll take the, I'll own that one. I'll take that. And it's, I just have to say, it's one of those things that as someone who has been a Rush fan, since the late eighties, early nineties, it is weird to see how being a rush fan in 2020s and on is kind of cool now, which is super weird because yeah. for the longest time you were weird. If you like rush rush was one of these bands that they're very cerebral for the most part can have more complex songs. Getty Lee has a, a voice that especially in the early days took, so took a little bit of getting used to, but they were kind of shunned by popular media. You know, Rolling Stone famously has been awful to them over the years, but who gives a crap about Rolling Stone? But again, they were kind of always one of these, like, Hey, you're a little weird if you like rush. And now it's like, you're a little weird if you don't like rush. And I think it's kind of cool to see how they've kind of come full circle and people have gone, no, these guys were brilliant and amazing musicians. So, um, but yeah, I, I uh, like I say, it was kind of late eighties when I started getting into rush the album of theirs that was new at the time when I really started getting into them was presto, which I believe came out in 1989. Uh, I purposefully did not do any homework for this episode as you instructed. So I'm pulling from the memory banks here. But, you know, Rush had always kind of been one of those bands that I was familiar with, I knew about, I had gotten into classic rock radio, and Rush was a staple there. But it wasn't really until I got a, it was a Sony boombox that had a CD player on top. And again, that was late 80s, maybe right around 1990 or something. And that was when I really, really started listening to Rush, because now I started getting Rush CDs. The very first CD that I bought for myself was Chronicles, which was a two disc set that for the most part had two songs off all of their studio albums and then had one song off of the live albums they had done so far. Before that, I did have Presto on cassette and had um, found, I think, in like a bargain cassette bin at some point, moving pictures. And so those were kind of the two cassettes I had and played the heck out of. But it was really once I started getting the, you know, once I got into Chronicles and started listening to kind of all of their work from the 70s up to the late 80s that I began to appreciate the breadth of Rush's music and how many different styles they employed 
and really started to appreciate their abilities. And, you know, after that, it just kind of took off. I remember, um, buying roll the bones when it came out. First concert I ever went to was rush on the roll the bones tour in the, at the time, the Delta center, the acoustics were terrible. I didn't care. It was yeah, a great not, show. This is not a good place to see a concert. The acoustics are very bad in that arena. Yeah, they really are. But Rush made it sound pretty good. I mean, I remember we were all excited and it was a great show. And then I remember when I remember when um, Counterparts came out. That was the next one. And I got that. And again, I think what I, I remember. Did, I remember when Counterparts came out that one of the radio stations, I don't remember if it was K-Bear or one of the other radio stations, they played the entire album from start to finish right before release. And I remember both of us sitting there just listening to the radio on like a Sunday evening as they played the entirety of Counterparts from start to finish. And both of us just being like, this is so cool. And to be fair, there is kind of a tonal aural shift between roll the bones to especially production values wise counterparts. And I remember both of us just sitting there in your room in the basement of the old house and just being like, dude, dude, <laughs> it is so much meaty. I would say that the, the production is just a lot more full. The guitars on that album have a lot more crunch to them. The bass, you really kind of feel it fills in that low end and stuff. And so counterparts was exciting. I was gone when excuse me, um, when Test for Echo came out, I was in Guatemala on my mission. And so I came back and that was kind of the first thing I did is I went and I bought Test for Echo on CD and remember throwing that one in. And Test for Echo was, again, uh, it was even more, uh, a little more heavy, a little bit more aggressive. And it was funny, you know, having just come back from uh, a religious mission, Test for Echo was almost a little too much for me right out of the bat. It didn't take very long for me to get over that. But it, you know, right out of the bat, that was, it was kind of a lot. Um, That's fair. And then from there, you know, it's just been following the band ever since. I mean, look, I moved to North Carolina two weeks early so that we could see Rush. I mean, I just did. We were, we were going to move in the middle of July. And then I started looking at Rush date tour dates and I'm like, well, they're playing on the 4th of July in North Carolina, or they were playing sometime in August in Utah. And I'm like, school's going to have started by the time August rolls around. So if I'm going to see him, we got to move early. So we did. And you helped us move. And, and you and I went to that show. It was a great show, too. I I think of all the bands that I've seen live, I think Rush is the one I've seen the most. It's definitely the one I've seen the most. Because, like I say, I saw them for Roll the Bones. I don't think I was able to see them for Counterparts. And I don't remember why. Oh, I do remember why. They canceled the tour early. And I want to say that it was a family matter with maybe Getty, like his wife had had a baby or something like that. Yeah. And then obviously I was out of the country for test for echo. And, um, then they took some time off after that, but then I saw them for, um, for vapor trails, saw them for snakes and arrows, saw them for clockwork angels, saw them on the 30th anniversary tour don't think I was able to make it to the 40th actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, I think that was, I wasn't either. I think that was the one I didn't make it to, but yeah, there's no question that I've seen rush more than any other band. Yeah. Unfortunately, the last one I saw of theirs was R 30 as well. 
Um, just because I, by the time Clockwork Angels came out, I had moved to Iowa and I was a very, very poor grad student. And the closest they came was Chicago, which is doable from where we're at, but it's kind of a lift. Cause like you don't want to do Chicago, a show and back the same night. No. So then you got to find a place to stay and you got to find like someone to watch the dogs and all that sort of stuff. And uh, so unfortunately it just didn't happen ever after our 30 for me. Yeah. Um, which, you know, if I had known our 40 was going to be the very last time they were ever going to tour for anything, I maybe would have, uh, would, would have made more of an effort to, to make it to it, but it just was not in the cards as I was, you know, again, poor grad student trying to, uh, just, uh, at that point I was, you know, preparing for my exams for my PhD. I think I read, I, I think at one time I counted 204 books for that. So I didn't have time to go to a concert. <laughs> I was reading literally hundreds of books so that I could do exams. Yeah. No uh, kidding. But it is what it is, but still seen them live a lot. Love them to death. Yeah. Sad to know that, you know, we'll never get any more rush. But also I understand. I wouldn't want them to come back with a new drummer. Um, for, if anyone doesn't know, Neil Peart, who was the drummer for all but their very first album uh, back in 74, uh, he passed away a few years ago. Um, and I would not want them to come back with some other dude because he is integral to who and what Rush is. So I wouldn't want them to replace him with someone else. I agree so with that I'm okay completely. That they're gone. Yeah. I'm okay that they're gone. I'm sad that they're gone, but I'm okay. Well, and, and it's one of those things that it's nice that the way they ended up going out was as positive as it was, you know, while it was yeah. tragic that of course, Neil passed away, they had really stopped before then because whether the rest of the band knew about Neil's diagnosis or not, because, you know, it came out that they of course knew about it a couple of years before he passed away. But he was tired of touring and, you know, Getty and Alex had very frankly said, we're not rush. If it's not all three of us doing the same thing for the same reason together. And so they'd kind of, you know, they, they ended with a, a great album that we'll talk about, I think a little bit today, but it was a good time. I think for them to say they have done, they had a career that nobody could look back on and say was anything less than magnificent. I mean, for 40 plus years, the way they entertain people, the quality of their music, all different stylistic changes and everything aside, I am comfortable saying, I don't think the quality of their music ever dipped. I think that there were different aspects of it. And there's ones I like more than others and ones that sure are stronger than others, but right up to the very end, they were making incredibly, um, thoughtful, thought-provoking music and the influence they've had on so many bands and the way they kind of pushed some of the boundaries of music and, and rock music and kind of had people think about it a little different. You know, I mean, they've left a permanent mark on, on rock music, I think. And um, for I'm sure. grateful for them for that. Well, and here's a funny thing I was just thinking about. I think part of the reason why they were able to have the success that they had is because they're from Canada. And I don't know how much you or the listeners knows about broadcasting rules in Canada, but on Canadian radio, you have to play a certain percentage of Canadian artists or you get like fined by the government or some crap <laughs> like that. That's kind of cool, actually. 
And so I think it's a great idea, but it, and it's a way to promote Canadian cultural uh, production. And so like that is a part of Canadian radio is that you hear Canadian bands. I think it's like 40% of all uh, like airtime has to be devoted to Canadian artists. So the fact that they were from Canada meant that they got a lot of airplay on Canadian radio. They don't, they never have gotten that much airplay on American radio. Yeah. Maybe three songs, really. I mean, Spirit of Radio, uh, Free Will. Tom Sawyer. Uh, Tom Sawyer is the biggest one. And maybe Limelight. Maybe. But yeah. like those four from those two albums from 1980 and 1981, that's it. Um, and no, nothing else get, got played on the radio here in the States. But in Canada, they consistently got airplay and were consistently this kind of underdog popular group because of it. And I think that that really helped keep them in the popular uh, consciousness um, and made it so that they could have that long uh, and fruitful career that they had. Yeah, I agree. And that's a really interesting point that I wasn't aware of. But I mean, thanks, Canada. I appreciate it (laughs) because it got us 32 albums that we're going to talk about right now. So, uh, like I said, uh, in our last episode, we're going to do something silly here. Uh, so the first thing I need to do is share my screen with Peter. Uh, we are doing this over zoom. So I'm sharing my screen here. You should be able to see the best rush album bracket right now. I see it. Um, currently they are organized, uh, chronologically, but we are going to hit that shuffle button mm, five times and we are going to shuffle them up. Uh, basically... (laughs) For those who don't know, Rush had 19 slash 20-ish. I put two, one of them on there twice, and we'll talk about why, I'm sure, when it comes up. Uh, studio albums. There was one EP of covers, and then they had 11 live albums that were released uh, during the course of that band, which brings us to a nice round 32, which makes for a perfect bracket. Um so I have included the live albums and the studio albums. I included feedback, which again, we'll probably talk about and we'll probably get eliminated first round, okay. <laughs> but we'll talk about it. We sure will. Um, so I'm going to hit the uh, shuffle button five times. One, two, three, four, five. The seating is totally random now. We're going to start at the top. We're going to take albums two by two, two by two. We're going to have a deathmatch convo about which album is better and the two of us together are going to find out the best Rush album as declared by the Jones sibling. I love it. Sounds silly, but it sounds like a lot of fun. I agree. So our first one is actually a very good one to start with. Yes, it is. We have the studio album Signals uh, versus their very first uh, live album, All the World's a Stage, which had uh, songs off their very first four uh, studio albums. And for those who may not be aware, that was up until towards the end when they started doing a lot more live albums because they weren't doing studio albums. For a number of cycles, it was very normal for Rush to do four studio albums and then a live album that kind of capped off those four. And then they did four studio albums and a live album and, and kind of went through and did that. So it was a predictable cadence of studio albums to live albums. And you kind of knew, you know, it really felt like when you got another uh, rush live album that it was almost like they were saying we're going to change direction just a little bit it, they do often feel epical in, in that early stage you know there is a s- sort of subtle but distinct change between 2112 and farewell to kings 
and a subtle, slightly larger change between moving pictures and signals. And, you know, a pretty decent sized change between Hold Your Fire and Presto, at least in terms of the songwriting, even if not in terms of the production values. Yeah. Um, so I definitely agree that, like, each one of those is kind of signals the end of an epoch and the beginning of a new one. But again, that kind of gets messier later on where they put out, in my humble IMO, too many live albums, many of which I'll probably just say, no, it's out because it's a live album. I don't <laughs> like live albums. And, and, and there are some that I'm probably going to agree with you on at the very least, if not all of them. So, I mean, because here's the thing. I was talking with my wife, Cassie, about it beforehand. I like a lot of these live albums, but if it's hear the same songs again with crowd noise or hear more indifferent songs, I'm going to pick more indifferent songs. So I usually tend to like to like the studio albums better. Yeah, I do too. But that's just me. So our first... Uh, T our first matchup, like I said, Signals, which is 1982, I want to say. Yep. Very good album uh, versus the uh, the live album, All the World's a Stage. Which one wins and why? Uh, that's a tough one. I, I'm no, leaning... it's not. Signals wins. Well, okay. So here's why I'll say it's a bit Signals of a tough is one. my favorite Rush album. Okay. I will not argue with you that Signals is a very good album. <laughs> <laughs> But subdivisions is maybe the best song Rush ever wrote. Uh, interesting. I have something to tell you about subdivisions and a new album that came out this last week that I am utterly obsessed with. But that's another story. Um, I, I will agree. Yes, Signals wins in this round. For me, it's not quite as close of that as that. Only because there is an energy and an almost rawness to all the world's a stage that Rush never ever captures again. Rush is an incredibly polished band and their ability to take these complex songs that they recorded in the studio and translate them near perfectly to a live setting using just three guys with a whole bunch of extra pedals and triggers and things like that to fill out that sound. They became incredibly polished. But for me, always there's this rawness to all the world's a stage and this just energy of young people who were coming out and were just, they wanted to take over the music world that I love. And I don't know that I'd say, well, no, I know it's not my favorite live album, but it's one of my very favorite live albums of Rush because of that raw energy that they have on that album. So I agree. Signals, absolutely better album wins this match, but I love all the world's a stage as far as live albums for Rush goes. I, I agree with you. That version of Anthem, best version of Anthem. Yes. It's the, like you said, it's the most raw. It's got the most verve. It just has like a, a power to it that further uh, recordings of Anthem Live, they're good. They don't have that same energy to them. So uh, I agree. Obviously, Signals takes it. Oh, I got to start the tournament. Yeah, start the tournament, baby. <laughs> uh, and Signals takes the win. Uh, and like I say, I really love Signals. It's probably my favorite Rush album if you held a gun to my head and said pick one. Um, I think part of that is because it's one of the very first ones I got. Um, you know, my experience with Rush was very similar to yours, but younger. And so borrowing a lot of your stuff, borrowing your copies of Chronicles, taking your copies of your cassette copy of, copy of Presto uh, on walks around the neighborhood in my Walkman. Um and the very first Rush album I ever got was Grace Under Pressure. I got it for my eighth birthday on CD. Even though I didn't even have a CD player yet, I got it for Christmas two months later. 
Uh, but that was my very first CD I ever owned. And uh, then I went with some birthday money and bought Signals like two days later. So both of those albums have a very special place in my heart. Uh, and I just think Signals rips. Uh, I genuinely think Subdivisions is one of my favorite Rush songs. Uh, I just think it's a great album. Yeah, it really is. I, I agree completely. All right, our next matchup. We've got 2007's Snakes and Arrows versus Power Windows, which is in that you know third phase of Rush with Signals. Grace Under Pressure Power Windows was 85. So what do you think? Snakes and Arrows versus Power Windows. It's Snakes and Arrows for me, no question. I mean, yeah. Power Windows is good, not great. Power Snakes Windows has is... a couple really, really good songs that in particular shine when they play them live. But because of, sadly, the really neutered production that Rush went through, kind of beginning with, definitely on Power Windows, but kind of beginning with Grace Under Pressure. Grace Under Pressure, Power uh-huh. Windows, Hold Your Fire, Presto, and Roll the Bones all have songs that are so much better live than they are on the album because the production does them no favors whatsoever. And, Amen. and you know, again, I, I think um, I love grand designs. I like territories a ton, but they're much Big and, money has one of the best bass riffs that Getty has ever done. Oh yeah. It jumps all over the place. And you're like, and that's one of those songs. Like for those of you who don't listen to rush, the, bass is just wild. Getty is such a talented bassist and often carries the song on the back of the bass. Like usually in a rush song, the melody is in the bass line yep. and the, and Alex's Alex Lifeson's guitar is doing great noodly needly stuff. But like the thrust of the music is not in the guitar. It is in the bass and that bass line in big money is wild. It really Especially is. Especially when live, like you said, when you listen to it live, you're just like, how, how is he doing this while I can see that he's like smacking stuff with his feet to do the, the keyboard parts. Like how does, how does, how does do it's wild. It is. But, you know, we talk about Snakes and Arrows, and Snakes and Arrows was um, it was a great, I don't want to say step up, because, and we'll get into uh, Vapor Trails a couple times later, but Snakes and Arrows took this kind of renewed energy that Rush found on Vapor Trails, and then got some good production, and got a producer in, I'm not even going to try and say his last name, Nick R, who had done some, he'd done some producing for Foo Fighters and stuff. And, you know, you, you watch some of the things, um, interviews and stuff with him. He was so excited to work with this legendary band that he really pushed them. And you can hear that in Snakes and Arrows. And, and they're just some amazing songs and just a feel to kind of the whole album that uh, it's a it's a great album. I mean, Snakes and Arrows is just a great album. Yeah, I think of their last period stuff, Snakes and Arrows is my favorite, I think. I think it's the strongest post. as a whole album. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it has some really high highs. Um, it's maybe a little long is one thing I'll say about it. It's got a lot of a lot of songs. Um, one or two of them could maybe have been cut, but also it's still really good. It's still a Rush album that you get excited to listen to. It does have three instrumentals, though, which is maybe pushing That's it. That's what I was just going to say. Um, is I think it's maybe two instrumentals too many. Even though I really like both Malignant Narcissism and The Main Monkey Business, I think that you know you didn't need both of them on this album. You did not. Um, you definitely did not. 
Um, yeah, but I still think it wins. It's a very good album. Power Windows has some bangers, but Snakes and Arrows is a better album overall. Yeah. Uh, this next one, <laughs> there's no contest. We it don't even need to talk about pictures. it. <laughs> it is moving pictures. Moving pictures <laughs> versus Time Machine 2011, a.k.a. the 30th anniversary moving pictures tour. Moving pictures wins. Yes, it does. I don't need to listen to them 30 years later playing the same songs. I can listen to them play the first time in 1981, and it's very good. And we're going to need to talk about moving pictures in more depth in another round. So this one, I think we can just say, boom, moving pictures. I'm sure it will come on. up. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will come up after the next one. Oh yeah. Uh, but uh, moving pictures, monumental in terms of Rush's output, um, in terms of their popular imaginary. Um, so we'll talk about them coming forward. All right. Last of the first set of seeds, we've got Vapor Trails, 2002's Vapor Trails, the original mix, versus 1987, 88s, 87s. Hold your fire. That's another real what easy one for me. No question. It's Vapor Trails. Hold Your Fire is kind of like, it's not a, it's a rush stinker. It's not a stinker compared to lots of other bands, but it's kind of a rush stinker. Yeah. And for me, Vapor Trails was the first Rush album to come out when I was an adult. So this was the first Rush album where I could go and buy it at midnight and drive home. Oh, see, that's because you were the first child because I got to do that for, uh, uh, what's it called? A uh, test for echo when I was a 13 years old. Cause I was not the oldest child. <laughs> well, like I say, I was out of the country for test for echo. So that wasn't an option. Um, but y- there was something, I mean, test for echo came out in 96 and then we had a live album a couple years after, and then we had nothing. And Neil had multiple tra- tragedies in his life, uh, a loss of a daughter, a loss of a wife. And there was a lot of question was Rush going to come back? And just the drums that kick off One Little Victory, the first track on Vapor Trails, it was such a resounding statement of we're back and we're excited to be playing together. And it was, I mean, there's, I have feelings associated with that drum intro for, uh, for One Little Victory that are some of my strongest rush feelings because I just didn't know if we were going to get another rush album and then driving home from gray whale CD up in Logan, Utah at midnight, uh, listening to that banging in my car. I just, wow. It, it, that's one of those core memories that I have. Me too. I was a senior in high school. I was driving home at midnight from whatever replaced Pegasus. Pegasus was closed by then. I think it was called crossroads. Uh, but it had changed management. And I remember convincing mom and dad to let me take the car at midnight way past that's past curfew, especially on a Tuesday night. But I was like, the AP tests are over. I'm a senior in high school. It's a rush album. And they were like, yeah, you can do that. And I, yeah, just that the double bass that starts that off and just kicks so hard. Oh man, I I'm getting chills. Just thinking about it right now. Yeah, I agree. All right, our next matchup in our second set of bra- of matchup bracket here, we've got uh, Presto, 1989's Presto versus the uh, live album Rush in Rio, which was the Vapor Trails live album, correct? Yes. Yeah. So while I don't, here's the thing. 
Presto has a lot of bangers on it, but like some of those earlier, that 80s period, the production is garbage. Yes, agreed. Like some of those songs really kick though. Like that that album rips. Scars, Scars is such a good song. Oh, and I think The Pass was always one of my favorites. The way that song oh, starts so, so mellow good. and then just builds to this powerful crescendo that is completely undermined by the watered down production. Yeah, like when it does that break uh, and like the music, like the the lyrics swell when he's talking to the person in that song and everything has fallen apart and he says, Christ, what have you done? It is completely downplayed by the production. It's ruined by the production. And then you hear it live and you're like, oh, yo, this is what it was supposed to sound like. Yeah. So a good album, again, was the first one. Uh, I remember buying for myself because I found it in a discount bin. I'm going to go ahead and say, as far as I'm concerned, Rush in Rio is hands down their best live album. It, there is an energy to the crowd. They were playing in front of this huge, I think it was somewhere in the range of 65,000 people in this crowd. And again, like you said, it was the vapor trails tour. And so all of a sudden we have this new renewed energy and you've got people in Brazil who have loved this band for years and have not seen them. And I don't remember how long, or if this was like one of, if not the first time they'd been able to play in Brazil. And so Uh the crowd is going bonkers and has so much energy. And then just, I don't know it. It's got some great songs, some live versions of songs that really punch my only complaint I mean, about it. Just what we were talking about. That live version of the past from Russian Rio yeah. slaps. It hits so much harder. My only complaint is that it's almost too much crowd. It, it gets a little distracting sometimes with the amount of crowd noise they have in there. But overall, I think there was just something about the energy, the excitement, the chemistry between the band and the crowd that for me, I think Russian Rio is their best live album. And so for me, uh, Russian Rio wins this one. I, I I will concur. I would have, until this conversation, I probably would have said Presto, but I'm going to go with Russian Rio. I think that that is a, uh, is a fair uh, um, counterpoint. Uh, and, and, you know, I admit I have not listened to Russian Rio in probably a decade. I should probably listen to that tomorrow. You know, not only listen to it, but that's one where watching the DVD that they released for it is, and I don't watch a lot of, like concert DVD type things or concert videos. Sure. Uh, but that one is just, uh, it's great. It's so much energy and just the shots of the crowd and the stuff that they talk about beforehand of, you know, getting there and meeting people and stuff. It, it just, for me, elevates it even more. So it's, it's one of those that's actually worth watching the video. Yeah, well, good suggestion if people are interested in seeing what Rush is like. And, you know, that's late enough in their career that just looking at this uh, set list, it is expansive and covers, you know, uh, the whole gamut from their very earliest stuff to what to uh, Vapor Trails. It's it's really a good a good spread. Yeah, it is. All right. Our next one, we have Vapor Trails remastered versus a show of hands. Why is Vapor Trails got two entries on here? (laughs) So I am the weirdo who actually went to all the effort to try and remaster, quote, Vapor Trails for myself. I remember this. Vapor Trails is the, the original master for Vapor Trails is 
in some ways, while exciting because it captures this energy, it is also a crime against your eardrums. It is so loud. There is so much clipping and so many songs that I deeply love. I have a hard time listening to that version because of how loud they are and because of just the incessant popping and clicking because it was mastered way too hot. And so there was a whole thing where people were like, okay, rip it in a wave file, import it into this audio editor, do this, do that. And I went through all that and then I burned it as another CD and it just didn't sound any different to me. And I think the band realized this a number of years later, because I want to say that it was 2013. So 11 years after Vapor Trails had come out, it was where they went back and, and took the original masters and, and remastered it. And didn't do it as many favors as I would have liked. Can I, can I be perfectly honest? Yeah, totally. I prefer the original. And I would not fault anyone who says that. It's a mess, but I love, I love that the, that it is so messy because it is such a, um, a snapshot in time in terms of, uh, music production because it this is again like 2001 2002 is when this was recorded released in 2002 um so probably recorded the the year previous and like rock was in like a weird liminal space where there was a lot of rap rock happening it was getting a lot crunchier the production was getting a lot messier um most things at that point had moved to fully digital production rather than any analog production whatsoever and you see all of that uh in that uh production uh and honestly and and the fact that like there's no keyboards there's no synths it's just like really messy guitar and bass and really poppy drums. And I mean poppy as in like it makes your eardrums pop and and, the <laughs> and there's pops fu- and hisses the in the waveform wave format looks the entire really messy. time. Yeah. Um yeah, I like that original production better. And I, I can totally see me, that. Though. Yeah. I again from an emotional standpoint, I prefer the original master. If I'm listening on a really nice pair of headphones or speakers I prefer the remaster because it does sound a lot more warm, but it does feel like, like I say, they, they pulled some of the energy out when they remastered it, unfortunately. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't have as much verve. Yeah. Like they're still the same songs and you can tell, but it doesn't have as much verve. That's the, the, the way I would describe it. So good though. We need to talk about a show of hands then. Yeah. So, Vapor Trails Remastered versus A Show of Hands. Hey, you remember how a lot of those songs that came out in the 80s were good, but the production wasn't very good? Show of Hands, better production, because live. Still a little bit watered down compared to some of their other live albums, but definitely gave those songs more punch. I'll use the example of the song Territories as as kind of my, my, my number one focus the version of territories that is on a show of hands. And, and honestly, I can't remember right now if it's on the album or if it's only in the video. Cause that was the weird thing it's is there's only in the video. Yeah. That's what I thought. There was one or two songs that were on only the in the video album. that are not on the actual album, but that out, al- that version of, of territories is so much better than the version that is on permanent on power windows. So much better. Yes. And, and just across the board. But for me, it all comes down to literally one thing is why I say a show of hands takes that. And that is the rhythm method, period, full stop, end of story. That, and here's the thing. Yep. Oh, no, you go ahead. I was just going to say, out of all of the drum solos that Neil Parrott has ever done, 
The rhythm method is my favorite for two reasons. Number one, it was, I think the first one I really heard. So there's an emotional connection there. But number two, it is the one that to me feels like the most cohesive song. And, and, you know, other drummers can't do that. You hear a lot of drum solos and it's just banging and it's cool and it's fast. But Neil could take a drum solo and make it musical. And he did more to do that on later um, live albums and in later tours. But something about the rhythm method there on a show of hands, this four and a half minute drum solo, it feels like a complete coherent song start to finish. And to do that just with percussion is amazing. Here is my, uh, as a Rush fan, a heretical viewpoint. Uh, drum solos are bad uh, <laughs> as a general rule. They're boring and most drummers don't have the chops to do it and they should stop because drums by themselves are boring. They need to be part of an ensemble. That's the point of a rhythm section. It's the same reason why you don't get very, very long bass solos. That's boring. Needs to be part of an ensemble. However, I do agree with you. The rhythm method is the only one of those. uh, If I were to just put in a Rush album and listen to it from beginning to end, because of course that's how you listen to Rush albums. Oh yeah. You don't listen. You don't skip. No. You don't do a solo. I don't listen to singles. You put it in. You start in song one. You go to the end. Except for if there's a drum solo other than the rhythm method, then it's skip to the next track. Boring. (laughs) Especially, I feel like. The one on different stages, which we'll talk about in a bit, way too long. That's yeah. the one that specifically sticks out to me as like, why did you do this for so long? It's not interesting anymore. Yeah. Because uh, that one's like over eight minutes long. And it's just too much. It's too much. For me, all of them after the rhythm method were too long. And and there's parts that I exactly. enjoy, but I feel like they all, they all got a little more bloated and lost that cohesive coherent nature that the drum solo there on a show of hands has in really a singular way i agree i 100 percent agree uh i just think that they're boring and that one's good <laughs> all right uh, you know Our next i'm okay one. with that i, I well, well you said it is a little heretical i actually would not argue with you too hard i there is no drummer alive today that i want to listen to a drum solo of i can see Trug that. that's emoji. fair it's okay it's, it's just okay. not me. Next set. Next one is interesting. It is a uh, face-off between two live albums. We have Snakes and Arrows Live, obviously the tour for Snakes and Arrows, versus Exit Stage Left, which was the second live album, came out after the set of albums, Farewell to Kings, Hemispheres, Permanent Waves, Moving Pictures. Um, it's actually Exit before Moving Pictures. Is it? Yep. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. But the Moving Picture dudes are on the cover of it. Yes, but I am pretty sure there is not a single song for moving pictures on exit stage left. Oh, no, maybe I'm I wrong. My nope, you're right. I, I am wrong. You, right I, you are 100% right. I am absolutely wrong. Opens with Spirit of Radio, Red Barchetta, and YYZ. That's two out of three. Like I said, I already said you were right, and I was wrong. You are correct. <laughs> <laughs> for anyway, some reason, I don't life, know why I was thinking remains. it came up before that. I sometimes think the same. It's because the Permanent Waves girl is the main character on the front of it. So you're like, well, this is yeah, going to have come out it. right after Permanent Waves. Yeah. Uh, it's better than Snakes and Arrows Live. Snakes and Arrows Live's good. Exit Stage Left is better. Exit Stage Left is fantastic. And and for me, Exit Stage Left, again, while it has a lot of good songs, um, it, it all hinges at the finale 
the live version of La Vila Strangiato is incredible. And the guitar solo, Alex's guitar solo in that is one of my favorite guitar, guitar solos of all time. I remember vividly one of the first times I heard that it, I, I actually teared up. I couldn't tell you why, cause it was so many years ago, but something about that guitar solo, it was just, it moved me. And I, I, I really, really love that album. It kicks. I think exit stage left. Like I'm with you that, uh, all the world's a stage might be better. You mean, uh, I think exit stage left. No, uh, see, I think no, I, no, no, all the world's, yeah. all the world's a stage is probably their best live album even though it lost so early to Signals because that's their best album, period. I think uh, Exit Stage Left is probably my favorite. If I was just going to pick one to listen to, I think it would probably be. See, and for me, I would say that, again, I think Russian Rio as an entire thing is their best live album because of all the things I previously said. But in terms of my favorite live album, it is Exit Stage Left. And so, sorry, Snakes and Arrows Live. You are a live concert for Snakes and Arrows, which was a good album, but uh, Stage Left is better. Agreed. So, submitted. All right, our final one for this, and then we're halfway through the first part of the bracket. Thankfully, the second parts of brackets always go faster because there's half as many things. This time, we've actually got two studio albums going up against each other. We've got Roll the Bones versus Fly By Night. What are you thinking? Uh, It's a hard one. It is a hard one, and it's a hard one for different reasons. Again, for me, there's a strong emotional connection to roll the bones because it's the first time I saw them live. And it was that tour at the same time, you look at the leap forward that rush took between the self-titled and fly by night with the addition of Neil Parrott. And you look at that and you go rush never would have survived the seventies had Neil Parrott not come on and joined the band and opened up the possibilities of what they could do. I believe, I just don't think that, oh, 100%. you know, as much as rush is a fun album, they're self-titled. And as much as I love working man and the guitar solo in that, the rest of the album is fairly forgettable. Mid seventies, Led Zeppelin worship. And yep. they never would have survived. They never would have become what they were if we didn't have fly by night. And so I lean towards fly by night, even though if I'm going to go and listen to an album, I would choose Roll the Bones over Fly By Night. I think that that's fair, um, but I think that I would listen to Fly By Night first. So I'm agreeing with you because I think Fly By Night, like you said, leaps and bounds over what uh, was happening on that self-titled um, and and is such a statement. And like, we're not going to, we don't have time or nor do I have desire to get into like my politics quibbles with Neil Parrott's songwriting. Uh, as much as I love the band, I disagree politically with most things that Neil Parrott thinks. Um, and, you know, do I know that Anthem is ultimately uh, inspired by a really terrible Ayn Rand book and may she burn in hell forever? Yes. <laughs> is it still a banger? Yes. yes it it's wild how good of a song that is. Yeah. And it like kicks so hard. It starts the album with this impetus that the early album just doesn't have. As good as Working Man is, it's a, it's just a far more um, relaxed album. It doesn't have any of the like speed and tension that Anthem immediately starts uh, that whole album with. And it just kind of, punches so hard right there at the beginning that fly by night, I think is just really plus you got to remember for many years, you and I referred to, we took the 
Bitor and the Snow Dog, and, and those were our nicknames for each other. That is true. That that is our those were our namesakes from this very album. Yeah. So, you know, more power to Bitor and the Snow Dog. All right. Our next one, we have Permanent Waves versus R30, the 30th anniversary tour. This isn't even a contest. Permanent <laughs> Waves wins. It's one of their very best albums. Well, and it has Natural Science, which in my opinion is their very best and my very favorite song of theirs. So Permanent Waves, hands down, With no question. good reason. It's so good. Spirit of Radio is so good. Jacob's Ladder has the, the creepy uh, thunder in it. Ah, man, Permanent Waves kicks well, so much. And R30 is a fine compilation tour album. But and horribly, it's there to fill out to 32. Horribly underrated, but I, I love Different Strings. I think that off uh, Permanent oh, Waves, Different Strings is a fantastic song. Total change of pace from every other song on that album, but you know, has this beautiful, slow, but emotional guitar solo that nobody can pull off like the way Alex Lifeson can pull off some of these guitar solos. And just the way it kind of fades out with this chill kind of guitar solo, almost sort of David Gilmore-esque, you know, Pink Floyd-esque yeah. in, its, in its style, uh-huh. you know. And then again, it goes into Natural Science, which is this nine-minute, three-part epic track of theirs that is, without question, my absolute favorite Rush song forever and ever. You know, I, I think that it makes a very good case for being my number two after Subdivisions. I love Natural Science. I think that, you know... Uh, in that early, that first decade, Rush did a lot of long, multi-part songs, and Natural Science is kind of our penultimate one. The only one after this is the the camera uh, eye, the camera eye uh, from Moving Pictures, and then they really move away from that. It's one of the big departures between Moving Pictures and Signals, is that there's not those sprawling eight, nine-minute songs anymore. Um, but I think Natural Science embodies the best part of that while avoiding some of the excesses of some of those longer songs. Like, do I love the Cygnus X1 songs? Yes, I do. Are they too long? Both of them, yes. Uh, Natural Science hits that perfect length while giving you this three-act movement uh, without being too bloated or too up its own ass about things. Uh Uh-huh. Agree. It's great. I love it. Uh, all right, next up, we have Caress of Steel, their third <laughs> album, versus R40, their very last release. Oh, man. Caress of Steel is really hard for me to listen to. Here's the thing. It's maybe their worst album after yeah. the after the self-titled. It's yeah. the worst one that Neil wrote the lyric. I mean, there are moments of the Fountain of Lamneth and the Necromancer that are really good, but both of those are too bloated, too long, and have enough things in them that break the momentum that I I just don't go back. And then, I don't know, maybe there's some deep meaning to it, but I think I'm going bald. Are you kidding me? Bad. What the hell is that song? Here's the thing. Caress of Steel has one good song. It's Best D-Day. It's amazing, and it's on every live album after this, and good, because yes. it should be. But it's the only song worth listening to on the whole album. Agree. So I think for me, R40 takes this one, even though R40 isn't a live album I've listened to that much. Um, just because for me, by the time that album was coming out, you know, I've, I've, I still deeply love rush, but I don't listen to them nearly as much as I used to. But out of those two, I mean, I'm going to go listen to R40. I'll listen to nothing before I'm going to listen to caress of steel. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter which one we pick. 
because it's going one down. Loses the permanent waves. <laughs> it's going down in the next Either round. one loses the permanent waves because permanent <laughs> yes, waves is so correct. much better. So it doesn't matter. But we'll pick R40 in, in you know in the efforts of transparency. R40 is a good album that I have listened to like four times. Yeah. Anyway, next one. Ooh, this one's hard. Oh man. This is gonna be maybe our first fight. Clockwork Angels versus Grace Under Pressure. Okay. For me, yeah, please. For me, it's extremely close. Clockwork Angels is their last studio album. It's a concept album. It's a mess, but it has a lot of extremely good songs on it. Grace Under Pressure is the first album I ever owned. <laughs> I would play, I would listen to it while I was playing with Mighty Maxes in my rooms. And I would listen to, uh, What's the name of that song that is based the body electric? I would sing or I would listen to the body electric and I would imagine the little cyborg from my Mighty Max playset was the character from Body Electric 1001001 in distress. <laughs> and so for me, Grace Under Pressure has so much emotionally tied up in it that it it wins for me. Uh Clockwork Angels, great album. A wonderful final uh studio album for them to have put out but grace under pressure has something has its hooks in me like nobody's business because of my childhood so i'm gonna go ahead and say if you take the emotional component out of that grace under pressure is still the winner i i really like clockwork angels i really like um I'm going to say brought up to believe because I think the actual name of that song is stupid and I'm not going to say it. Uh, that song has one of Russia's best riffs ever. I think that the bass in headlong flight is incredible and is an, an insanely driving song, but the rest of the album, it doesn't really click for me. And there is something about grace under pressure in going from Signals to Grace Under Pressure, the production of Signals is very similar to Permanent Waves and Moving Pictures. And it still has got this, this nicely polished, but a little more warm sound. And there's a coldness to the production of Grace Under Pressure that I actually think really suits it in a way that it is a little more bleak album. Lyrically, it is more bleak. Thematically, very much it so. is... Again, it, it is kind of a cold album and the production on that actually fits it really well. And I think that some of the sounds in some of the songs, again, you know, distant early warning. I love red lenses between the wheels is in many ways, a haunting song. And so overall, I mean, again, I don't have that emotional punch for grace under pressure that you have, but I still have to agree out of those two grace under pressure is the better album. I think. Cool. I'm glad that we didn't have to have a fight about that because and I agree. Like Clockwork Orange or Clockwork Orange, that's <laughs> entirely. Clockwork Angels has a lot to recommend about it, but like of the last three, it's the one I have lis- would listen to the least. Like it is not. It it doesn't have the slickness and uh, and expansiveness that Snakes of Ar- Snakes and Arrows does. Nor does it have that. V- kind of violent percussiveness that you get out of vapor trails it's good but like i i don't know and like you said there's because and this is true of every concept album that's ever come out sometimes there's just some fluff because you got to tell the story and so there's going to be a couple story fluff songs that aren't very good and it's also a bad story that oh yeah like i don't even want to get started on that yeah i 
it's bad. It's not very interesting. But I think a big thing too, and this is where, again, I've always been kind of a progressive rock slash progressive metal nerd. I like long songs. I like long albums. And, you know, as I've gotten older and I've gotten into things like doom metal and in particular funeral doom, you know, I use uh, mirror reaper by bell, Witch is the perfect example. It is a single song. It is 83 minutes long and I love it. And I will fight anyone who says it's not good because it is such an amazing song, but that's the exception. And you look at, you look at clockwork angels and it is an hour and six minutes long. And you look at grace under pressure and it is 40 minutes long. And there is so much more meat in grace under pressure than there is in clockwork angels. They do more with that 40 minutes that that's another reason why it has to win. I'm with you. It's I love that album. It's so good. Uh, okay. Next up an easy one, extremely (laughs) easy 2112. One of the most important albums in uh, progressive rock history versus live album for Clockwork Angels. 2112 <laughs> wins. 2112 wins. Even though I will say, and perhaps this is heretical, as much as I love the track 2112, and I think that it is a groundbreaking track, I don't love a lot of the other songs on that album. I think that Lessons Side and Something for good. Nothing were okay. A Passage to Bangkok is better live than it is on the studio album. And Lessons and Tears are both kind of trash. But, yeah, you know, 2112 has to win. No question. No, I'm I, I'm with you. That side B of 2112 is not very good. Um, and that is also true. We haven't gotten to Farewell of King to Kings yet. But that's also true, I think, of Farewell to Kings and Hemispheres, where there's some real high highs, but there's some kind of low lows. It wasn't really until for me, permanent waves where you're like, yo, there ain't a stinker on here. Every one of these hits. Yes. A hundred percent of the time. All right. Next up, we have a live album set up. We've got the Grace Under Pressure tour, which while was recorded back in the 80s, was not released until the 2010s. Uh, And we have different stages, which was their first really big, it's three discs long, two discs of which were during the Test for Echo uh, tour, and one of which was an old unearthed recording from, I think, the Farewell to King. I think so. It was recorded at the Hammersmith Odeon in uh, London. And I'm looking, seeing what's on there, and there is nothing more recent than Farewell to Kings. So I think it had to be the Farewell to Kings tour. That's an easy one for me. Go. Uh, it's for me, it's different strange, different stages. Um, even though it's a long album and it doesn't necessarily need to be three. I, I really liked test for echo a lot. There was an energy to some of those songs. And even though the production served them much better on different stages, they even had more energy. But the one that really did it for me was hearing some of the songs off roll the bones, which again, my first rush tour that I saw and so neutered in production that hearing those live versions on different stages really improved them so much to me. And honestly, the same thing with Presto. Um, it was a, some really good songs that sound so much better on that album. Uh, and I really, really like different stages. I 100% agree with you. Um, and this will sound funny having just talked about my, uh, infatuation with grace under pressure. I've never listened to the Grace Under Pressure tour album once. <laughs> I don't think I so have either. So for me, different, different stages wins because I've never listened to the Grace Under Pressure tour because why would I listen to the tour when I could just go listen to the album? It's 40 minutes. It's so good. 
Well, and you so, only have, never you know, the Grace Under Pressure, I mean, it doesn't have the whole album. You know, it's it's like three or four songs, I think, of uh, uh, Grace Under Pressure is in that live album. And again, uh-huh. I, I'm with you. I don't think I've actually ever listened to it. And I know I haven't listened to it start to finish. Yeah, it's just, uh, that's one of those things where, again, the excesses of the late 2000s, 2010s, live it was one of those things where and i think this is true of lots of progressive rock bands it was an easy way to make money quick to put out a lot of live albums because people really like them but i'm just not one of those people so it's fine i've never listened to it probably never will i'll just go listen to grace under pressure all right next up we have two studio albums hemispheres which was the one that i felt guilty uh, asking for from mom and dad because it has a naked man's butt on the cover. I know. Oh my god! So I had to buy There's it. A butt on I the had cover. to. I had to buy it used from Pegasus because I couldn't ask for it because I had a butt. <laughs> or Rush, their very first studio album, which did not have Neil Peart. Uh, it had. I can't even think of his name right now. John Rutsey. Uh, Rutsey. That's right. John Rutsey on drums. Uh, what takes it for you? Well, you know, there isn't a butt it's on the really cover of Rush, and the name is from bright pink letters, so I got to go with the butt. But all jokes you aside. Know, I agree. Always go with the butt. Always go with the butt. Um, all jokes aside, I actually think that Hemispheres, and I don't know, based on what you said me earlier, maybe I think Hemispheres is better than you think it is. For me, the only track that, and I wouldn't even say it's a stinker, but it's someone I don't really care for, is Circumstances. I like the trees. Yeah. I always enjoyed the trees. I thought it was cool. La Vila Strangiato is an amazing, amazing instrumental. And that's a good I point. I do agree that Cygnus X1 Book 2 is too long. Uh, I think that it is an admirable, big, long epic um, that I still quite enjoy. So uh, for me, that one's easy. And honestly, La Vila Strangiato would make that one a winner for me, no matter what, because it is such an. A good instrumental of theirs. Um, but you know, I, I love working man. I told you earlier, I love working man. I love the guitar solo for working man. That's it on that first album. Yep. I actually have to, I, I would have to literally pop it open and see what there is. And I'm looking and I'm going, need some love is stupid. Take a friend is stupid yep. here again is stupid. What you're doing was fine. The live version was better in the mood is stupid before and after is stupid. Finding my way, what you're doing, and Working Man, fine. With Working Man being a great song, but I'm sorry, one great song and a bunch of stinkers just doesn't do it. 100% agreed. Hemispheres is by far the stronger album between those two. And, I, you know, you're right. I don't, I really like La, Villa, La Villa Strong Diata. I think it's very good. Um, and Hemispheres, again, a little too long. Gets a little hoity-toity up its own butt in the lyrics department, but it's got a lot of really great music in it. Uh, it's a good album. I like Hemispheres. Again, I, I felt and I felt so illicit buying it because of the butt. <laughs> like I said, all right. Next up, the butt. Next up, we've got a farewell to Kings, uh, which is sandwiched right in between Twenty One Twelve and Hemispheres, and Counterparts from Nineteen Ninety Four. I have a clear favorite here, but I'm curious to see what you think. I'm thinking about them and I'm trying to see if there's any reason I could talk myself out of picking counterparts. And I don't think I can. There isn't. Do you know why counterparts wins? Stick it out. Done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, counterparts 
was such an important album for me because of this is where we finally got rid of that garbage production. And like you said, stick it out has such just a fat, heavy, hefty riff to it and sounds so aggressive and so good that, um, I, it was, it was the one that sort of, I loved rush. I'd been listening to them, loved a lot of their stuff had been, had, had felt a little let down going back and listening to albums like hemispheres and power windows and stuff. And so counterparts was the one where all of a sudden I was like, Oh, the boys can rock and the boys can really rock. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I think a farewell to Kings is a good album. Uh, I think it has some strong songs on it. I think that there's some, some filler on it. That's not quite as strong. I mean, Cinderella man at, sucks. Yeah. Cinderella man sucks. I don't really care for madrigal. Uh, and maybe this is where I'm going to be really heretical. I think closer to the heart is a kind of boring and simple. Not song. a good song. Uh, it's, yeah, it's okay. Not, live not the good. way it gets everybody into it, but alone it's not great. A farewell to Kings is a good song. Xanadu is better live by a huge yes. margin than it is on here. I love Cygnus X one book one because of this, the kind of crazy for rush standards breakdown at the end where it just, the guitars start going crazy and everything, but oh, we'd already really heard good. that happen in the grand finale for 2112. And I think it had a lot more impact in that. So, you know, I, I like, I like a farewell to Kings, but for me, counterparts definitely takes this one. I 100% agree. And again, counterparts has a couple kind of stinkers, not stinkers, but like some, some weak spots. Uh, Speed of love uh-huh. is not great. Alien shore is kind of boring, uh-huh. but like that opening riff of cold fire where he's just going chicka, 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 yep. is like, yeah, man. And yeah, it's some real, real bangers on counterparts. It's a very good. Agree. I think this next one should be fast. Uh, okay. Test for echo versus their feedback, which is an EP of covers that they put out in 2004 that I have listened to twice. Test for echo wins. <laughs> we'll we'll talk about test for echo more in the next round because I think counterparts and test for echo is an interesting, heck. interesting matchup. Ooh, that's going to be a hard one. Okay, so we're halfway through. Our our seeds uh, have been decreased to 16. Uh, next up, we have... Whew, this is going to get spicy quick. <laughs> we have Signals versus Snakes and Arrows. What are you thinking? Um, despite how much I like Snakes and Arrows, I have absolutely no hesitation saying that Signals is definitely the better album. Yes! Snakes and Arrows is good. It's great. It cleans up so much of the mess of Vapor Trails. Signals is one of their best. If It's my favorite for a reason. Yeah. Everything. Again, Signals, like Moving Pictures, like Grace Under Pressure, even though it is a warmer uh, production, has some of their, like, it, it just starts dealing with things lyrically that feel a very rooted in the early 1980s, but B relevant today in our cyberpunk dystopia that we live in. And yeah. we didn't even get any of the cool neon that cyberpunk was supposed to bring with it. We live in the most boring cyberpunk dystopia possible, but like that signals feels like Russia signals and grace under pressure to me are like the cyberpunk duology of Russia's um, output. Yeah. Um, with the warmer half in signals and then that colder, more pessimistic half in grace under pressure. 
And I just, they, they have the, the, this is where the synths really amped up in comparison to earlier stuff. Well, I mean, just the very um, beginning and, of uh, subdivisions, you, you know, we're, we're a fair ways into the song before really the bass kicks in because Getty is just laying on those synths at the beginning of that song. He's, he's busy on the keyboard. He can't play the bass too. Uh, yeah, I think, I think signals is just, just a banger. It's a great album all around. Yep. All right. Next one. This one, I think is, I think there's an obvious, no, there's an obvious winner. I <laughs> there's, there's no, winner. I think about this. There's an there's obvious not. winner. We've got moving pictures versus vapor trails. Moving pictures wins. Because while I appreciate signals being your favorite rush album, and I do think that it is one of their best. I actually think that moving pictures start to finish is a perfect album as a construct of an album, the way the different songs flow through each other, taking advantage of at the time, what was a side a and side B, whether you were listening on vinyl or if you were listening on a cassette, it is crafted so that there is a cohesive feeling from the first three for the first four songs until you get to the end of side a and then you turn it over and there is a different feeling for side B that is intentional and is intended to be listened to start to finish in that fashion. And, and yeah, I mean, next round, these two against each other, it's going to be interesting. It's going to, I'm, I'm prepared to give it to moving pictures because I can recognize moving pictures is objectively probably a better album, but signals is my favorite. Well, but, we'll, we'll talk I mean, about that. We'll pictures, talk about that next round. Uh, moving pictures there's not a stinker on it. Every one of them I can sing from beginning to end. Every, every song. On and it. I would even go so far as to say, I don't think there is a wasted bar of music on that album. Yeah, it's good. It's real good. Okay. Next up, we have another battle of live albums, Russian Rio, your all time. You think the best of their, their live output versus show of hands. The, the cleanup live album with that great, uh, drum solo. What are you thinking here? You still going Russian Rio? I am. Yeah. As much as I like a show of hands again, it just the energy on Russian Rio is there is not a single other live rush album that has that same energy between the interplay between the crowd and the, uh, um, the band. I think there's even, and I don't remember exactly which song, but I mean, there are parts where you can literally hear the crowd singing not the lyrics, but singing along the songs. Yeah. Like in uh, in YYZ, they're totally doing the you know the different runs of the guitar and everything. They're just singing along, and you can hear it. It's a it's a great energy that it has. I I totally believe. I agree. Uh, Russian Rio takes it. Show of Hands is very good, very solid. Rhythm method. That version of Rhythm Method very good. Russian Rio. All right. Next yep. up, this is an interesting one too. Exit stage left. That says state. We'll ignore that versus <laughs> I didn't notice that till right now versus fly by night. I didn't either <laughs> exit stage left live album fly by night first studio album with Neil Parrott. What do you think? <sighs> I think that fly by night is a more important album, but I'm going to pick to listen to exit stage left every single time. And again, it's if for no other reason than that live version of Levi Lestrangiato, but still in terms of, you know, we're, I don't know. I, and it's hard to know. Are we saying what's, I mean, we said this is the best rush album. And I actually think as far as albums go, I think exit stage left is a better album than fly by night. Yeah. Yeah. 
Exit Stage Left does not have a, a rock and live version of Anthem on it. And Fly By Night has Anthem on <laughs> no, it. It doesn't. So <laughs> Fly By Night does have Anthem on it. I will give you that. I don't know. But you know what Exit Stage Left does have? Is it has a much better version of A Passage to Bangkok that kind of redeems that song off 2112. That's a good point. And it has a really good version of Beneath Between Behind, which isn't that off Fly By Night? It is. Okay. And it actually makes it a lot better there. Okay. And then you've got the live version of Jacob's Ladder, which, which elevates is that song. A really cool song. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, I'm sold. Exit stage left. It is. I'm with you. <laughs> okay. Next up, we've got another real easy one. Permanent <laughs> Waves, one of the greatest Rush albums ever made, versus R40. Permanent Waves wins. We've already talked about why it wins. It's got Natural Science on it. It's got Jacob's Ladder on it. It's got Free Will. It's got Spirit of Radio. It's a banger. Every song on it rules. Yep. Uh, okay. <laughs> Grace Under Pressure versus <laughs> I was looking at this 2112. Going, oh, is 2112 a more important album? Yes. Is Grace Under Pressure a better album to listen to? Also, yes. Yes. Grace Under yes. Pressure is a better album. I absolutely 100% agree. Grace Under Pressure is the better album out of those two. Boom. Done. Now that's Side fight. A of 2112. Side A of 2112. Fantastic song. Great song. Very cool. Did so much. Side B completely lets down the album as a whole. And uh, Grace Under Pressure does not have any of that weakness that 2112 has. And so as an album, definitely better. Agreed. Also, here's the thing. Um, I didn't say this earlier. I respect 2112. I don't listen to 20. Like, this 23 minutes long, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to listen to something else. So Grace Under Pressure wins for me. Well, and, and the song 2112, again, while it's important, and I do think that overall it's a good song, it definitely has parts that lag a little bit. Yeah. You know, again, that effort to tell the story where it loses a lot of the steam. Yeah. That the effort to tell the story, the concept song being, you know, half an album in this case, instead of a whole album, very rarely is every part of it. Great. Um, and that's definitely the case there. There are some parts where it really kind of falls apart. Um, the story is kind of a mess, but it does have some real banger parts in it. Priest of the temples of Syrinx. Yeah. Extremely good. Oh, Excellent. Excellent. All right. Next up, but Grace Under Pressure. Grace Under Pressure wins. It's a great album. Next up, we've got Different Stages, the three-disc live album versus Hemisphere. What do we think? Um, I know what I think. What do you think? I want to hear what you think. I'm leaning Hemispheres because of La Via Strangiata and Hemispheres, even if I don't really like the trees or circumstances. I'm leaning Hemispheres. What do you think? I'm definitely on the Hemispheres bandwagon. And as much as I enjoy different stages as a live album, and I'm glad it beat the Grace Under Pressure tour, I think in terms of the actual quality of the album itself, Hemispheres was another important evolution in their sound where they were taking some of this epicness um, that they had developed on 2112 and A Farewell to Kings and polishing it a little bit more and moving sonically into what we were going to get in particular on permanent waves, For moving sure. pictures and, and even signals to some degree. And so I think it's a better album overall. I a hundred percent agree with you. Uh, all right. Our last matchup of this round, the nineties, a tough one, man, the nineties, a tough one counterparts test for echo fight. <laughs> Here's the thing. I like the production of counterparts better and I think it has higher highs, but I think test for echo has more consistency 
And I think that the album as a whole is probably stronger. Even if the highs aren't quite as high, the lows aren't quite as low. That's what I would say. I agree. I agree. I'm definitely leaning towards Test for Echo for that very reason. It's it's interesting in that I think it is a little bit more aggressive than Counterparts, but it's not quite as thick and meaty in the production. And um, But like songs like, I mean, just the first track, Test for Echo, Driven, is great. Um, and then interestingly, you have Resist on there, which is an absolutely gorgeous little track indeed that i desperately love and seeing getty and alex sit down and play that one live um, when they pull out the acoustics is yeah when they sit down and they pull out the acoustic guitars and they give neil a little bit of a rest uh great 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 song great song agreed really good yeah i think i think test for echo takes it i really like again the highs of counterpart are so high but it's not as consistent as test for echo yeah i agree Okay, we are down to the top eight oh, Rush albums. We are getting oh. we're getting down to it here. Like we are really getting into the weeds here. Matchup one, <laughs> which I know I'm I know how it has to go, but I don't like it. Uh, signals I think I've already made my case. Signals versus moving pictures. Moving pictures does win. I don't like that it wins, but it wins. It's the right choice. Signals it, <laughs> it signals is, is right my choice, favorite. I'm glad you see that. But moving pictures is the right choice. That's what I'll say. Signals is my favorite. I mean, it's good. Go listen Signals, to Signals is a great album. It's got a, it's got a Signal, Dalmatian on yes. the cover. It's very good. Go listen to Signals. But then when you're done listening to Signals, listen to Moving Go Pictures, listen. and I think you'll see why it, Moving Pictures is advancing here. It's the best album they wrote, probably. You've just got, again, I mean, Vital Signs. Golly. Such an underrated song, but such an amazing closer of the album. And really starting to forecast this colder, slightly more, I don't want to know if I want to say pessimistic, but certainly less optimistic songwriting style. They were going to move forward with signals and with grace under pressure. You see the roots of that in vital signs. It is a cold song. It is a weird song. It is a minimal song, but it is such an amazing way for that album to wrap up. Agreed. Just everything start to finish. Like I say, I, I would make the case that I think moving pictures is a perfect album. I would be hard pressed to disagree with you. I think that it, it, it bridges the seventies rush and the eighties rush perfectly because it brings everything yeah. you like from those earlier albums, especially that, like, um, that sense of propulsion you get from permanent waves, the crunchier guitars, and then you start to see that movement into the synth. Like you said, with Vital Signs, moving into that like progressive electronica sound that becomes really prevalent through the 80s, um, a, a real move towards using a lot of synth um, and, and and having that, again, that cold cyberpunk feel to a lot of their music, I think is signaled there. Um, and it's just, it's yeah. a really good album. It's very, there's a reason why the song Everyone Knows comes off that album. And it's the reason why that's probably, yeah. I think that's probably their best selling album with good reason. Like it it's is. the one everyone should own. If everyone's like, I should own one Rush album. Yeah. Moving Pictures is the one. To have. And interestingly, it's deceptively complex. You get these popular radio songs like Moving Pictures, like Limelight and to some degree Red Barchetta. And you've heard them so much that it's 
easy to forget everything that's going on. But then you sit down and you really listen to, for example, the drums in Tom Sawyer and you go, man, like there's a lot going on here. This is, you know, it, 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 it does such a good job of taking the complexity and the headiness of earlier rush and purifying it in a way that makes it feel more accessible, but doesn't give up that progressive heart that rush had. Yep. I agree. It's, it's a very good album. It's probably going to win. Yeah. We'll see. But like, I would, I know it, it and, would and not surprise feel me. a little basic if that wins, I, but at I the same would not time, surprise me if, if it wins, it's going to be because it's the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This one. All right. Is a tough one. Exit stage left versus yeah. Russian Rio. Two live albums, two of your very favorite live albums specifically. Gun to your head, which one wins? And which and which one loses so to Moving Pictures next round? <laughs> so so here's where I feel like I'm gonna contradict myself a little bit. Uh, for me, Exit Stage Left wins, me and Exit too. Stage Left wins if for no other reason than one purpose, than one reason, and one reason only, and that is it is. While a long live album, it is still a relatively tight single disc album. And Russian Rio is three discs, and I'm not going to sit down and listen to three discs, but I will absolutely sit down and listen to Exit Stage Left, stop, tar- start to finish, top to bottom, and not miss a single song. And I'm not going to do that with Russian Rio because it is too long and too bloated. Amen. Here's the thing I loved seeing Rush live. I miss, I will miss not being able to see them again. I. Their, t- their concerts were a little long and I felt bad yes. for them for having to play a concert that long. This is what opening bands are for. You guys should be playing a tight 60 and then having, then introducing me to a weird opening act, but instead they would play yeah. for like two, two and a half hours. And I'd just be like, how yeah, do you even up do to three. that? How do you do that night after night after night? Ugh, it's, it's a lot. It's and probably one of the reasons that Neil found touring to be so difficult near the end. And, and yeah, you know, was not super interested in doing it. Yeah. Like, and, and I get it. It's, it's too much. And again, I love rush. I love their music. They're one of my very, very favorite bands, top five, maybe top three, but three hours is too long for a concert for me. Yeah. And too long and, for an album. It's too, too long for an album. Yep. Too long for an album too. All right. You're going to listen to tracks off Russian Rio. You're not going to listen to the whole album start to finish. Amen. All right, now we get messy again. Uh, Permanent Waves versus Grace Under Pressure. This is a brawl that I think Permanent Waves wins, even though I want Grace Under Pressure to win. The right answer is Permanent Waves. (laughs) I'm going to agree with you, in part because I personally can sing or hum every bar of every song off permanent ways. That's a good point. I can't do that with Grace Under Pressure. And I can't do that to Grace Under Pressure. Yep. There are a couple songs that I know that if I start listening to them, I'm going to remember, but you know, The Enemy Within, I don't remember off the top of my head what it sounds like. Um, after Image, I remember parts of it, but I can't remember the whole song. It just, I don't know. And, and then again, we're just going to get back to Natural Science. Yeah. I mean, Natural Science is my favorite Rush song of all time. Yep. It's a, it's a clear winner. Okay. Here's a good one. Here's a good match. This matchup. is interesting. Hemispheres versus Test for Echo. For me, Test for Echo takes it. I actually agree with you completely. I was just thinking that Hemispheres, a good album, but I think that Test for Echo, because in part, 
it avoids the bloated 20 minute epic track uh-huh. is a, a tighter feels a little more coherent, more cohesive, even though it's 20 minutes and, longer. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like it to uh-huh. me. You know, I, I agree. I think test for echo takes this one. I'm honestly surprised. I, I would have been surprised that test for echo has done as well as it did, because if you had asked me earlier, I would have been like, it's fine. But the more I think about it, and especially the more I compare it to these other albums, the higher it raises in my estimation, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. I was thinking the exact same thing. I did not think that Tess for Echo was going to make it to the quarterfinals. Yeah, top four. I and am yet, shocked that Tess for Echo made it to the top four, especially when the but other But I also three, think we all know what the semifinal, what the final is going to be. I mean... I think we all yeah. know what the final two albums are going to be. So, semifinals, this is very easy, very quick. Moving Pictures yep. versus Exit Stage Left. Moving Pictures wins because Gotta it's... Gotta take it. And Permanent Waves versus Tess for Echo. Tess for Echo punched above its weight made it way further than I thought it would, but Permanent Waves beats it. Hands down, no question. And so now we have the Rush fan dilemma. Permanent Waves versus Moving Pictures. Can I be candid? I think Permanent Waves should win, even though I agree with all of your um, reasoning why Moving Pictures is maybe a perfect album. If I was going to pick one to listen to right this minute, I think it would be Permanent Waves. So... um Here's what I'm going to say. I like Permanent Waves better, but Permanent Waves has one problem, and that is Entree New. Okay. Entree New yeah. is a song that I will skip every single time, and there is not a single song on Moving Pictures that I will skip. That's a good and point. And so I would go back and say that I think the highs of Permanent Waves are higher than the highs of Moving Pictures, but there is nothing weak in Moving Pictures, and Entree New is weak. And Jacob's Ladder, for as much as I love it, is about 30 to 45 seconds too long. Yep. That's a good point. So that would be why, like, I am I could totally be on board with, in fact, honestly, if all you did was get rid of Entree New and you made Permanent Waves a shorter album, it might take it for me. Because I think if you did that, then it is so tight. It is so good. It is so focused. There's, I mean, if there's one track on an album that I'm going to skip and then on the other album, I'm not going to skip it at all. I'm going to listen start to finish every single time I push play. I got to go with the album that I'm going to listen to start to finish every time. It's a good point. That's a very good counterpoint. And I think that you're right. I think that we need to be the basic bitch rush fans that we are. And <laughs> moving pictures takes the cake. Moving pictures predictably is the best Rush album as declared by the Jones sibling. And and I'm going to be honest, I'm a little sad saying that. I, I am. Me too. I'm a little sad Me saying too. that. Like I said, Signals... I, I feel a little bad. There's a part of me that didn't want Moving Pictures to, to take it. And since you, you know, ever since you suggested this uh, a couple weeks ago, I'd been rolling that over in my head again and again, and I'm like, eh, is Moving Pictures going to take it? Ah. Uh, it feels like you said, it feels so basic. It's just like, oh, are we just the, but there's a reason that moving pictures stands the test of time the way it does. And there's a reason that it has sold more albums than any other rush album. And it's just because again, as a, as a coherent, cohesive top to bottom album, I just don't think they've ever done better. And they've done really, really good. They've had some amazing albums. Yeah. 
but for me, nothing is as complete as moving pictures. I think I think you're exactly right. If we have to pick a best, there's a reason why most people would uh, concur with us that that moving pictures is the best that it gets. How we, however, that being said, all things told, when I did this bracket myself, and the seating makes a difference too. It would have been interesting to yeah, see it seated it a different way, because when I did it by myself the other day to make sure that this uh, website seating thing would work. Signals took it easily for me. And I don't remember what exactly knocked moving pictures out earlier, but I think it came for me down to uh, counterparts versus uh, signals. And so signals easily won that. Uh, so I think yeah. seating makes signals a big difference. Uh, and like I say, signals is my very favorite. What would you gun to your head? Favorite rush album. Is it still, is it permanent waves? Even though entre new is there. Yep. I think it is. But best is still yeah. moving pictures. We have to say it. It's true. Yeah, I do. I think so. And, and like I say, it makes me a little sad to say it because it feels like such a just kind of bog standard answer. But again, I mean, there's a reason that that album is so highly regarded. And there's a reason that that album uh, persists the way it does. And I think it's earned its place in in rock and not even just rock, but kind of modern music history. Agreed. I think moving pictures earns that place well. I agree. And I think the other interesting thing about it is that our two favorites are the albums that bookend moving pictures. Yeah, and it, that is interesting. And, and I think that those, those being our two favorites kind of belie that switch that we were talking about where you tend towards the more epic, towards the more... Um, bombastic guitar driven um you know those long songs with a with like uh, intricate parts to them which is why you know permanent waves is one of your very favorites natural science is your favorite rush song whereas my yeah. music tastes tend towards the punchier the quicker um maybe a little less complicated and a little more straightforward while still having that that richness to it sonically which is why i think signals is so great and so i just think it's really interesting that our two favorites are those bookends to what we both objectively agree is probably their best album that is really interesting yeah but hey if listeners if you made it through an hour and a half of this and you haven't listened to all of these albums go listen to rush just go listen to rush yeah they're very cool. Do. Skip around if you feel like it. Don't feel like you need to listen to all of them. You can skip Caress of Steel. It's fine. Bastille Day will come up on <laughs> one of those live albums you listen to. It's fine. You maybe probably should skip Caress of Steel, honestly. And and again, you know, listen to the live version of Working Man. You don't need to go back and listen to Rush. It's true. The, the first album. You just don't. It's true. I even, when we first talked about this two weeks ago, I was like, I'm going to listen to all of these when I went to work the next day and I started uh, finding my way. And I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. I don't know. I'm not doing this. <laughs> you know, I, I thought the exact same thing. I went through the exact same thing. So, so, but scientifically proven the best rush album, moving pictures, our favorites, permanent waves signals. They're a good band. Go listen to them. They're never going to put out they any more music band. again. You know what it is. It's all there. They're super important in the history of music. Their music rules. Go enjoy it. Well, and, and I'm going to throw this out there as we're wrapping up and just kind of do a quick, uh, you know, is there something interesting you're listening to now? And the reason I'm going to mention this is uh, there's a band out of Colorado, Allegion, 
and they've been around for, I think 2008 was when their first uh, EP was released. I discovered them back in 2016 when their uh, album Proponents for Sentience was getting ready to come out. And they're uh, probably not your cup of tea, uh, but they're a melodic, progressive, technical death metal band. I think I'd have to put all of those kind of modifiers in there. But the reason I discovered this band was because in anticipation of their 2016 album, they released a cover of Subdivisions. And it's an excellent cover of Subdivisions. And okay. they subsequently released a cover of Animate off of Counterparts, which is another excellent cover. Uh-huh. And then they did a cover of Roundabout, the classic Yes song, which is another fantastic cover. And so they just put out a new album called Damnum, um, which uh, dropped uh, last Friday. And for me is hands down their best album. I am so in love with it. The middle, the, the centerpiece of the album, the song called Home. Be careful if you read the lyrics. Make sure you're in a good place emotionally. Um, the lead singer and the lead guitarist both had friends within a week of each other, I think, who committed suicide. And a lot of the album deals with them processing this. Uh, called Home actually uses some lines. Some of the lyrics are from a note that one of the friends left behind. Uh, but it out... Opeth's Opeth. I mean, it does this, <coughs> this epic progressive, you know, clean vocals, death metal growls kind of thing that Opeth used to do so, so well, and that they have abandoned in a way that might be better than almost any song, almost not all, but might be better than almost any, th- any song Opeth has done. And uh, wow. like I say, I got into them because they did a cover of subdivisions. That was how I found them. And, and uh, they have a huge love for Rush and for older progressive bands like Yes and things like that. And so uh just thought I'd mention them. Thought I would throw out a shout out because we're talking about Rush and uh, Rush is how I got into these guys. Well, I'm going to go listen to their cover of Subdivisions when we are done recording this because that's a great song. It is a great song. Well, thank you so, so much. This was so much fun. I was glad it was as fun oh, as it was. It was a blast. I loved it. This yeah, was a me blast. Too. It was a great um, and it was super cool. And to all you listeners, thank you for uh, going on this journey with us. Uh, I hope that you had fun because uh, I certainly did. Um, and, you know, if you feel so inclined, go give us a review. Uh, rate us on your podcast platform of choice. I like to think we're a five star pod, but that's not for me to decide. That's for you, the listener. <laughs> um, I, I like to agree as well. And we'll be back in two weeks with another uh, deep dive into culture of some type. Uh, we haven't even decided what it is yet. I'm very excited to see what Peter proposes. Um, but yeah, so we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thank you all for listening. And thank you for coming up with this idea, Brayden. It was a blast and I really, really enjoyed it. All right. See you all later. Bye. Bye.